Hello, welcome to the uh, Free Rohingya Coalition Genocide Podcast. I am Zani, uh, based in UK, and um, I have a, a, a distinct honor and a great uh, to be hosting the conversation today with uh, Professor Gil Beringer, uh, based in Australia. He's American by birth, uh, studied law at the College of Law at Hastings in San Francisco. Uh, part of uh, University of California, Berkeley. Um, and also he served as the Dean of um, Macquarie University Law School in Sydney. Uh, Macquarie is a, a public uh, research university uh, set up by um, Australian uh, government. Um, he has been extremely active on the uh, persecution of uh, fellow lawyers across the world. And um, he has uh, done extensive research and monitoring on the, particularly on the case of uh, the Philippine state persecution of lawyers uh, that has uh, increased sharply since the current president uh, Duterte came to power um, uh, four years ago. And, and Gil, um, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, you know, talk about this important issue, uh, the, uh, two major issues that, um, that we will focus on, the war on, uh, or so-called war on drug uh, that has claimed, uh, you know, the lives of, um, you know, 20 to 30,000, uh, the Filipino people are mostly, mostly poor and, uh, you know, maybe street level dealers. Uh, and then the other issue that, we'll talk about is the, uh, uh, the targeted persecution uh, of the Filipinos lawyers who stand up for the rule of law and for the public interest. Um, can, you, can you begin by talk, giving the audience the overview of the Filipino state and, uh, and, and then we will go into the uh, specificities of uh, the criminal policies and practices of the autocratic Duterte regime. Thank you, Zarni. It's uh, good to be with you. Uh, and I'm very happy to talk about this topic because it is important, not just to the Filipino people, but to peoples around the world, because uh, in this day and age, uh, authoritarianism is increasingly uh, being chosen as the path forward for many countries, and Duterte's regime is being used as an example. Uh, it's actually a very bad example, as uh, our discussion later will, will uh, reveal. I'd like to say a few words uh, about the history, how we got to where we are today in the Philippines. Um, I was there in the mid-1950s as a young naval officer. Um, and it was at that time uh, a population of about 30 million. It's now 104 million. So it's quite a, a difference uh, demographically um, and in many other ways. At the time, um, it was often referred to as the Pearl of the Orient. It was a, a wonderful country with many resources and the future looked bright, especially uh, not long after they had received their 
independence from uh, the United States, who had colonized it around 1900. Um, unfortunately, the, the country has not really fulfilled its promise. Uh, today, it's one of the laggards in almost every uh, quantitative and qualitative measure amongst ASEAN countries. Um, probably people aren't aware of the fact that it's now the COVID hotspot in, uh, in uh, Asia uh, or, or in Asia, amongst ASEAN countries. Uh, the government is failing in many ways, but basically they were not prepared for this and they are, they are not using a health approach, but a, a military approach. Uh, we'll get to that uh, later. One of, one of the problems in the country, of course, is that there are about 250 families who dominate uh, the political and economic systems. And these uh, are referred to as, as dynasties. Um, and it's an example of the way the Philippines works that in their constitution, the one that Cory Aquino brought in after Marcos was uh, uh, deposed, in that constitution, there's a Bill of Rights, um, and there is also a, 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 a section which says dynasties shall be prohibited. But since the dynasties are dominant in the Congress, they've never passed any law to implement that. So the dynasties are uh, nailed on, if you will, and they, they control uh, the politics and, and the economics. And so it's a, it's a, a country with marvelous uh, resources, uh, hardworking, creative, innovative people, but uh, there are probably uh, 15 million to 20 million people who are hungry, uh, Homelessness is a problem. Those, and, and you know, many millions of people live in shanties, which are illegal and they get harassed by the police and so forth. Um, Duterte um, has a really bad record in terms of human rights violations, but he's not the first. We, I guess most people are aware of the dictatorship of, of Marcos. In fact, Duterte's regime is far worse than Marcos. Uh, Marcos, uh, it is said, uh, while he was a great thief and his family stole billions, uh, which haven't mostly not re recovered. Uh, under Marcos, there was uh, martial law, there was uh, detention and, and torture and so forth, but only about 3,000 people were killed, I say only, I mean, that's obviously a, a figure we, we uh, abhor, but uh, it's not comparable to what Duterte has done. Probably 10 times as many have been killed, plus all of the uh, tortures and uh, trumped up charges, uh, disappearances, illegal detentions, and so forth. But if we go back a little bit, 
to his uh, predecessors, uh, there was violence then. There was there were uh, human rights violations. There there were uh, clampdowns on drugs. There were executions of lawyers. But in all of these uh, categories, Duterte has has uh, uh, his 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 uh, policies have have been. Uh, far worse, and the results have been far worse. Um, we can look at, um, in the year 2007, the Chief Justice, uh, Puno, uh, wisely called a summit on human rights violations. Uh, they were so bad, and that was under uh, Gloria, Gloria Macapagal Arroyo. Uh, herself a daughter of a previous president. And uh, uh, not much actually substantive came out of that. The, the killings went on. So in 2012, under President Aquino, the, the son of Cory Aquino, um, he actually established an interagency task force on extrajudicial killings. Uh, did that by administrative order. Presumably, he couldn't have gotten through through the Congress. Um, however, again, uh, I, I, I can't remember anything substantive that has come out of that. Um, the extrajudicial killings continue under Duterte. Um, for example, there are about 260 deaths of farmers killed by um, well, it's very difficult to, to say in, in the majority of cases, in all the categories I'm going to talk about or mention, uh, because there are no, no really uh, effective investigations. And that itself raises a question. Um, but it is said, and in some cases can be proved, that state forces were involved or paramilitary forces who are organized, supplied with weapons, and uh, given impunity. These, they're basically organized by the military. I mean, this is common in many countries around the world, as, as we know. But 200, about 260 farmers have been killed in, in four years. Many of them farm leaders. Uh, uh, Environmental defenders, about 150 have been killed. Interestingly, lawyers come third in the list. They have lost 57. That's attorneys, prosecutors, and judges. Um, trade unionists, about 50. Uh, journalists, interestingly, 16. Now, around the world, everyone knows that journalists are being killed. Uh, for obvious reasons, uh, their brothers and sisters, uh, and indeed their employers, often make a, a, a big fuss about it. But um, it is the lawyers that, that particularly interest me, and, and surprisingly, they're uh, uh, number three in, in the list. Others, uh, Karapatan, which is a, a civil rights, uh, human rights organization, 
with first responders. They, they hear about a killing and they go there quickly so that they can try to get witness uh, testimony and to look at the physical evidence and so forth before the police can uh, fix it, shall we say. Un unfortunately, the police are involved in many of these killings and they um, uh, often plant, for example, in the drug war, they plant drugs, they plant uh, pistols, uh, and, and so forth. Um, Karapatan's volunteers, 16 of them, uh, have, been, have been killed under Duterte. And I, I don't have numbers on um, other sectors, but fisher folk are, are killed, medical doctors, um, uh, church people, priests and, and pastors and so forth. Um, one of the interesting cases uh, uh, some years ago uh, involving a pastor uh, is an example of how it works. Um, there's something called the order of battle. The, the military or the police are, are given a list of people that they're to execute. Um, and one night in, in a village where, where this pastor lived, there, 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 uh, there was a shooting in the dark. No one left their, their house. They were afraid, with good reason, of course. The next morning, when they went out, they found the pastor dead by a, by a stream. But they also found a military man dead, apparently in the darkness, in the confusion, perhaps. He was shot by his own men. And he had a list, uh, this order of battle list, and the pastor was on it. So that's an example of one of the, one of the ways in which we know that state forces are involved in, in many of these killings. And I can uh, give some other examples later when we talk about uh, the drug war. Um, Can I, um, sorry to interrupt, um, because yes. there are a number of um, really important issues that um, that uh, need to be, uh, I suppose, I made um, you know quite um, uh, obvious. One is, you know, what you're describing uh, earlier. Earlier, uh, the 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 history in the uh, potential of uh, the Philippines as a sovereign country. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, around the turn of the um, uh, 20th century, uh, nine, uh, or like uh, right after the, I, I believe like the Spanish-American War, the uh, Philippines became, uh, you know, uh, a colony of the United States. And, mm -hmm. uh, 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 and then like, you know, after the um, Second World War, around there, it, it, it regained its independence, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, yes. but but the what 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 I'm uh, what left me wondering uh, is the um, the nature the structural and institutional nature of the Filipino state, yeah. Hmm. And the Philippines was yeah. under the Spanish colonial rule over three hundred years, and the yes. state was developed not as an instrument to advance the welfare of and the protection of the people, or the rule, if you will, but mm. those who um, who own the uh, Philippines as a colonial entity, a property commodity, right? And then yeah. so, so that that was the origin of 
the state in the Philippines. You know, the country's name itself um, came from, um, you know, Spanish King um, uh, Philippe II. Yeah. And so then yeah. you've got the uh, the American colonialism there. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't suppose the Americans were too particularly, um, you know, uh, enlightened or progressive about the welfare of the people they rule over. And so we've got one institutional structural problem of the institutions in the Philippines. And then you've got, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the problem of autocracy, you know, whether it's um, Marcos or uh, now Duterte, right? And, uh, and so you, we, we have two issues, these individual autocrats, and in the case of Duterte, he's, he's considered basically a, a criminal against humanity by outside world, particularly the UN organizations. Yeah. So, so the state already uh, has a very, very deep uh, repressive and predatory character. And whose interests are being served, you know, uh, by this state? And uh, mm. what we are seeing is basically the process of accentuation of repression under Duterte. Mm. But, yeah. the, you know, the, 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 the failure of the Philippines as a sovereign state to live up to its reputation as the pearl of the Orient. You know, it has the, uh, the one of the highest literacy rates in the world in all of asia right and it has like you know uh, the top agricultural and other research institutions as it's emerged yeah. as a sovereign state and yeah. it you know it has a, a very vibrant civil society you know mind you in all of southeast asia philippines was the path breaker path setter trendsetter you know with the 1986 uprisings against um, marcos regime backed by the United States. It was Filipino people who made that happen, yeah. that overthrow happen. Still, you know, they are shackled by this uh, repressive predatory state and made worse by guys like Duterte. Can you comment on these uh, two issues yeah. that put Filipino people's lives and well-being and future at grave risk? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you, you, just to go back a bit, you, you talk about the, the Spanish-American War, but uh, a lot of people talk about the Philippine-American-Spanish-Cuban War, uh, because actually I, I've made a study of, of, uh, of, of that war, and many of the, the troops that were sent to the Philippines had, had been in Cuba. Uh, and uh, on another occasion, perhaps, we can talk about uh, one of my favorite subjects, and that is the black soldiers who defected and fought for the Filipinos against the Americans. But that's for another time. Um, yes, um, and, and it's interesting. Americans know very little about the Philippine situation, about colonialism there. I, I, I didn't learn it growing up as a, as a child in the, in the States, going to university and so forth. Um, and in fact, there was an anti-imperialist league in the United States, but, but they lost. Uh, um, the, 
I, I, I think the Philippines actually is, um, is very interesting because it shows us uh, what can happen in a democracy, a so-called democracy. I mean, I've, I've written some articles about faux democracy, F-A-U-X, uh, because I was an election observer on, on three different occasions in the Philippines, and I saw, I saw how, how, how corrupt those, those elections are. So it has this, this combination of, of, a, of, a, of a superficial uh, democratic system uh, with, as you say, this, this repressive and exploitative state. But it's a capitalist country. And capitalism is about taking from the workers and making sure the workers don't object, <laughs> to put it crudely. Um, and so it's, it's a kind of, uh, uh, well, I, I wouldn't call it an extreme case, but, but it, it, the, what, what happens there is pretty extreme. I mean, the fact is that um, the Philippines is, is very much a divided country. You have uh, many millions who are very poor, and they mainly uh, are in, in, in the countryside. Uh, agricultural reform has been tried and tried and tried, but hasn't been very effective. Uh, the last one appointed, uh, when, Duterte, when Duterte first became president, he, he agreed with the uh, National Democratic Front to uh, put some of their nominees into the cabinet, but all of them were out within about a year or so. Um, and one of one of them was in the agricultural uh, minister, was secretary of the agriculture, and he. And in a number of these cases, in agriculture and in uh, the secretary of the environment, she was wonderful, uh, very militant. She was tossed out, and in both cases, a general was put in. So, uh, and, and again, this is not unusual. Uh, Gloria uh, Macapagal Arroyo had something like a hundred generals in her cabinet and, and as secretaries of departments and so forth. Um, and Duterte has, has, has done that as well. Um, so, we, we, we see, and you know, the, the United States. Um, uh, dominated the country for as a as a colony for about almost fifty years, but as I mean, it's it's typical, isn't it, of America to think that their system is 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 the best, and that their system should be uh, imposed upon. Uh, uh, colonial peoples, so that that you know they have a, a constitution with a bill of rights. They have a, a supreme court and, and judicial system generally based uh, on on American institutions. Um, actually, Alfred McCoy is a, a wonderful historian, and you would know his work. Yeah, yeah, he, 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 I knew yeah. him. We were friends at Wisconsin. He was a professor. Right. I was a young student. Well, he's, he's written two marvelous volumes on the impact of America on the Philippines, 
but also on how um, American institutions and practices were influenced by their work in, in the colonies. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting dialectical approach which he takes in, in these two volumes, and I recommend them to, to your readers. Um, yes, when it, when it comes, I mean, in the end, if you have a democratic system, you've got to have elections, and it's the type of election uh, in, in the Philippines which has shown me uh, that it's not really a, a, a democratic system because the, the corruption is, is, is at a high level. And also there is what is called the directed vote. So that these feudal landlords make it known, I mean, they don't go around telling everyone themselves, but you know, their managers and their hard men put the word around and it's, it's in their culture, it's traditional now. They know who to vote for. Uh, they're, they're, they're directed and they do vote in that way. Uh, I once asked uh, a Filipino, well, why don't, why don't people just take the money and, and vote the way they like? And she looked at me and she said, they will know. <laughs> uh, so you don't, you don't take chances. And, and actually today, what we're seeing throughout civil society, which is, as, as you said, very, uh, very solid, very brave, very innovative, and very determined. Uh, th th those people are being, being picked off uh, because they are known and not, and you know, they are, by Duterte's regime, they're considered uh, subversives. They are red tagged, uh, by which we mean they're, they're, they're called communists or communist supporters. Um, and so th there is a, there is a, uh, a silencing of people. Uh, and I think that, uh, there, well, there, there will be no change in the next two years. That's for sure. The, the, only, the only hope is that uh, there will be a, a, a change of regimes. Now, Duterte is attempting to highlight uh, certain people so that they can carry on. One of the things that the presidents of the Philippines always try to ensure is that they won't end up in jail after they've left office. So they try to get someone to follow them um, and of course they pack the, the Supreme Court. Um, I think of 15 Supreme Court justices at this point, 14 of them are Duterte appointments. And he's, he's, he's got a very high ratio of victories in the court, uh, including having Marcos, the disgraceful and disgraced dictator, buried in the hero cemetery late at night secretly uh, when uh, most most uh, filipinos were opposed to that yeah, yeah on, so on the subject of the uh, duterte's uh, you know interference in the uh, judiciary yeah which is uh, 
I mean, you mentioned um, uh, red tagging lawyers. You know, I mean, uh, 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 I think in one of your reports, uh, that, yeah, you talked about that. And then like interference in the uh, uh, in the judiciary, and then you know that is uh, followed by state uh, the provision of impunity. Uh, you know, for those uh, either vigilantes or paramilitary troops or regular security sector members going after uh, the lawyers. Uh, you know, the, I think like you know, the persecution of lawyer did not begin with uh, Duterte, to be fair. It started with uh, previous regimes, right? But however, the the sharp rise, you know, I think like you know, the, the statistics are that, uh, you know, previous, in the previous governments, uh, the, the number of deaths uh, of uh, lawyers, uh, you know, who stood up for the rule of law and due process and, uh, uh, the, you know, attempted to protect uh, people and people's lawyers, as, yeah. as you call it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was about, uh, you know, 0. 0.6, uh, uh, you know, person every month. But under Duterte, that figure has risen to, you know, 1.0 something. Now it's, every month, it's, it's, it's about double. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it is staggering. Like you know, basically we're and, looking and, at a scenario those, where Duterte is killing one lawyer a day. A, a lawyer who is brave and principled enough to 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 do his or her job, which is to uphold the rule of law, to absolve the constitution of the Philippines, and to yeah. protect the people from wrongful accusations, allegations, or state persecution, including, you know, and, and I think that you've got, it's just, a, a, you know, state, you know, the, the policies and the interference, but also you've got personality in Duterte who openly dismisses the idea of human rights and, and trashes any type of international accountability mechanism, including ICC. Yeah. He calls, you know, he thinks that the, the international rule of law is the business of the white people imposing on other people. Whereas, in fact, the prosecutor at the ICC is a Gambian lawyer, a black African woman. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. men is like, you know, racist. And at the same time, you know, like, the boast about, you know, killing, you know, uh, drug users and tr small-time drug dealers by himself. Yeah. You got a head of state who says, "I have no problem killing these people, and criminals have no right." Well, I mean, we know that human rights applies to, you know, so-called illegal migrants or asylum seekers or even criminals on death row. You know, have the right. And well, then, so, you, you know, know in, in history, even slaves had rights, you know, uh, but, but for Duterte, uh, human rights are nonsense. And as uh, you know, he, he's, he can be quoted in, in many, many, uh, okay, on many, many occasions when he said that uh, criminals have no rights. Uh, and even in addition to that, supplementing it, actually, uh, he has said that um, in a number of cases where police were obviously guilty, uh, that he would protect them. 
I mean, the, there's, there's one example, uh, this has to do with the drug war, but there's, there's one example, that, a number of examples that I wanted to, to mention. But in one case, there was a guy in a prison, in a cell, he was alleged to be a drug lord. He may have been, who knows, but he still had some rights, certainly the right to live. Uh, but a friendly judge in, a, in a, another province gave a warrant to the police, and this was a special unit, right? And they're the ones you really have to watch out for. And this special unit took this warrant, went to the other province, went to the prison at three in the morning, and said that they wanted to, to see this bloke and to search his cell. Well, you know, that's nonsense. The, the warden could have done that. But anyway, there were 13 of them. And they went in at three in the morning, went to this guy's cell, shot him dead, and shot the guy who was in the cell with him, you know, to get rid of the witness. And Duterte said, uh, they will never go to prison on my watch. And they, they have not, they have not even been tried and, and of course not convicted. Um, so there, when you mention impunity, it is amazing. There has only been one conviction in the drug war in four years. And as you say, we don't know the figures by the way. Um, it could be 35,000, it could be 25,000, uh, but there's another figure that's quite interesting. Let, let me tell you a little bit about the way the drug war started out. Um, in his campaign, of course, it was a major part of his program to eliminate drugs within six months. After he, if he were elected. After he, after he if he was elected, he was going to fill Manila Bay with dead drug uh, addicts and dealers, the fish would get fat, you know, all this kind of bruja. Uh, and for six months, the police were triumphalist. They were announcing every day all the killings they were doing. After six months, they had killed about 6,000 people. That's 1,000 a month. Yeah. That's a lot every day. Yep. Then, it's interesting what happened. There was a South Korean businessman who the police grabbed, arrested, and charged, and announced, and it was highly publicized. This, this was a kingpin. This guy was really involved in drugs. In fact, he had nothing to do with drugs. What did they do with him? They kidnapped him. This is the police, special unit again, anti-drug unit, nine of them. They kidnapped this guy, took him back into the police headquarters. It's called Camp Crame, because there the Philippines uh, have always had a militaristic policing. Indeed, their officers go to the uh, military academy to, to become you know, they, and they have ranks like the military, generals and colonels and all this. Anyway, inside the, the, the military camp, sorry, the police headquarters camp, they killed this guy and chopped him up 
and took him to one of their buddies who ran, uh, who ran a funeral parlor and had the body incinerated. In the meantime, they sent a ransom note. So that's what they grabbed this guy for. And the wife paid a ransom, but she wanted to, some evidence he was still alive. But they, they sent her another another ransom note. They wanted more. So finally, she, she, she decided this is not right. And she went to the authorities and it all unraveled. And uh, uh, the, the, the information came out about what had happened to this fellow. None of those guys have ever been uh, charged or tried. Uh, but what happened after that is the police said, oh, um, actually, we're, we're looking at the, the, the number of cases and we've reduced it to only 3,000. So they went from 6,000, which they were bragging about. They were doing exactly what Duterte wanted. But then they dropped it back to 3,000. Um, and today, uh, th about almost three years later, it's grown to, to 6,000, a little over 6,000 that they admit and they say all of them were Ill sorry all of them were legal killings the tagalog word is nanlaban it, it sort of means uh it was necessary in self-defense but um we know that's not true there was a case uh well let, let me let me say there, there are two incidents i want to mention senator de lima Early on, before the Korean was killed, early on, she uh, chaired the Committee on, on, on Justice and Human Rights, and she decided there had to be an investigation in, into what was happening in the drug war. And they got evidence from a woman uh, that her partner and his father had been killed in a police station. The police or we say, oh, the guy tried to grab our gun. There was a, there was a, a, a brawl and, and he ended up dead. Um, but the fact is that the, the partner and the father were drug dealers. They were arrested by the police. The police took their drugs and said, look, you can continue on, but we want to cut. You know, so, so the police are always getting drugs and then selling it. And then when the drug war came, they decided they had to get rid of these guys because they were afraid they would inform on them. What happened to Delima is the most interesting part of this. She was kicked out of the chair of that committee and put in prison. And a story was made up about how she was involved in, uh, because she was, uh, head of the Department of, Just, of uh, Justice, which included prisons. Uh, and there was a made up story that, that she was involved in, in, she was complicit in drug trafficking. So she's still in prison after three and a half years. Right, so it, it, it sounds like, you know, Duterte regime is engaged in the uh, widespread uh, essentially extrajudicial killings and you know that is what concerns yes. the uh, international human rights communities and uh, right. you know, so, uh, but at the same time you know that whoever stands 
in his way of so-called drug a war on drugs. He's, yeah. you know, going after them with trump up charges, either jailing them or essentially yeah. taking them out, you know, on, yes. on the streets. Yeah. And also, yeah. like, you know, he, when there are there are like, you know, dozens of children that were killed. Uh, you know, the, the reading from the report, um, uh, you know, I got the sense that the, the uh, Dutate special squads and the vigilantes, they're not even sparing during their drug raids. Um, a one-year-old child. I mean, one-year-old. I mean, well, you know, I mean, well, children, you know. But, okay, teenagers well, may be different. You know, maybe use of youth and whatever. You know, all these assumptions no. can be made. But one-year-old child would well, not be spared, you know, uh, by... Well, for uh, the, Duterte, that's, that's collateral damage. You know, it's, it's like Trump, you know, we're in a war. So things happen, you know. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, in many but ways, he's also. I mean, he's also going after, you know, uh, the, the people who are pushing for agricultural reforms. Like, you know, just uh, I, I guess that with just last week, um, there was a leader of the um, um, National Farmers Association. I don't know the uh, actual um, uh, title of yeah, the organization. Indeed. He was in his seventies. He was killed in his own home, and then the, yes. you know, and then his body was, um, you know, taken away without the consent of the family, right? Taken and then by the, the, uh, the the lawyer or the paralegal who was there to protect the body, he was also charged with something or obstruction yeah. of justice. You know, yeah. I mean, like the, the so he the Duterte regime has uh, categorized a number of uh, subgroups as essentially enemies of the state. Yes. Can, you, yes. can you shed some light on, in addition to, you know, uh, the small-time drug dealers or users and the uh, lawyers, uh, people's lawyers, what are the other groups that Duterte is engaged in targeted extrajudicial killings and extra-legal persecution well I, I gave you that list of, of farmers and environmentalists and journalists and doctors and and uh, priests and bishops and so but um, about a year and a half ago uh, Duterte's government uh, put to the, the, the Supreme Court which has to make the decision uh, a list of 649 people who basically they red tagged. These are supporters of communist terrorism, as they say. Um, several of those people uh, hadn't been in the country for 30 years. Two of them were actually UN uh, special rapporteurs on various social issues. Uh, and uh, these, these would be people who are critics of the government and that uh and and who are resisting their policies uh and it it might be uh, protesters like d during the the covid business uh as i said it's a very militaristic uh program that, that duterte has um so there are you know 
checkpoints all over Manila and, and in other cities. And these are manned by mainly uh, military. Uh, and people have been arrested, people have been killed, who were just out uh, walking past the checkpoint. Um, uh, so that <laughs> when you ask for categories, I mean, there's so many different categories. Uh, but in general, we can say there are people who oppose the government and are vocal in doing so. Now, these yeah. may be, they, they, they may be uh, church people. Uh, they may be, uh, as I said, the, the volunteers, the first responders when there are incidents. Uh, they're fisher folk. They're, they're, basically, what it reminds me of is the, the Phoenix program in Vietnam, which I'm sure you're aware of. When, when, when the Americans decided to kill the suspected uh, yeah, uh, cadres uh, of, of the uh, NLF. And uh, this is basically what's, what's happening because most of, the, most of these people in these different categories are the leaders, the ones who, you know, who, who are dangerous to, in, in the view of the government because they organize uh, people and they educate people and they agitate and protest and so forth. Um, I mean, and, and, and it, it's pretty heartless. I mean, the, 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 the case you mentioned about uh, Randall Echanis uh, having the, the bodies taken by, by, by the police from the family, it was, it was just despicable. But uh, let me just mention uh, a couple of cases uh, of lawyers being killed. Uh, one was in a restaurant with his family. They were having lunch. He was shot dead. Another one was at, in a mosque on a Friday at prayers. He was shot dead. Um, and there, there, there's actually one of the things that I'm interested in is the consequential damage, not just the ones who are being killed, but in most cases, there are witnesses. You know, it's, it's done at 11 o'clock in the morning or two in the afternoon. And, and you know that these people don't, they, they, they expect impunity. There are CCTV cameras often. Uh, in fact, there are two cases, in the only two cases where uh, the perpetrators were arrested and charged and brought to, brought to trial, the perpetrators, the alleged perpetrators were police. They were seen on CCTV. And uh, in both cases, not guilty. You know, the, the, the evidence is strong, but um, witnesses, witnesses are, are very afraid to, to speak up. We, we have had a lawyer disappeared uh, about a year ago, uh, February 2019. The, uh, and the case has never been investigated, uh, according to my sources, but they, the CCTV showed men with long firearms in a van 
and they got the license plate number, which was a government plate. And the CCTV shows that a, a, a gang of these guys getting out with their long firearms, which suggests military, because most of the killings are done with a, with a handgun. Uh, they take the guy, put him in their van, and then they drive away both vans, and, there's, and, and he's disappeared. The witnesses, there were people who saw, the witnesses wouldn't talk. And I was trying to get people there in, in the city where it happened, in the north, north central Luzon. I was trying to get um, people there to give me information, and I was feeding information such as I had uh, to others, trying to get a campaign going to find out what happened to this guy. And I was told, the family says no. Keep quiet, they don't want any trouble. So this is the fear. And there have been some interesting articles written uh, about governing by killing. Now, Duterte and others call it the, the war on illegal drugs, but in the Philippines, it's AKA war on the poor. So there's and a class, class of a very strong class element in the way Duterte framed his quote-unquote enemies, right? And uh, because, uh, you know, okay, well, in every uh, country, um, there is a drug problem, yeah? And, uh, the, but it's, uh, the, drug prob the drug usage is often tied to structural inequalities, you know? For, uh, and, uh, you know, people on the street, small-time dealers, and this, the assumption from Iris' own research is that, the state security troops, uh, you know, paramilitary vigilantes, uh, anti-drug, uh, you know, units and whatnot in the Philippines, they are authorized. Uh, you know, they're given a blanket impunity and and authorized uh, shoot to kill, and 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 on the assumption that everyone suspected of either selling drug or using it is armed. You know, and uh, the the many people who grew up in the sixties know. A lot of people experimented with uh, different yeah. types of drugs, yeah. and the younger generation, college students, any country, yeah. you know, tr you know, smoke marijuana, try different things. You know, this is all considered part of like a youthful experiment, experimentation, and well, overwarning ma yeah? majority well, I, I, are I, not armed and then do not intend to harm anybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of a lot of propaganda about how this is ruining the country. This this was the the campaign uh, promise was to get rid of drugs because it is will become a narco state. In fact, Duterte exaggerated greatly the the amount of uh, drug usage and certainly the drug addiction. And it's quite clear that for uh, for uh, most people who 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 uh, have been attacked and, and killed, they are poor. There's the police talk about high value targets, but you find that these these are very often people who are out at 
two or three in the morning trying to sell drugs. Now, if you're a drug lord, you know. No, you don't. You, no, no, no. You don't get out until 10 in the morning. And, and a high value dealer even is not going to be out at three in the morning trying to sell drugs. You know, it's right. mostly it's mostly the poor. And look, we know what it's about. It's, it's killing the pain of the exploitation and repression and the alienation that the poor people feel in a society. Look, the Philippines is hugely rich. I mean, you go into Manila uh, or, or uh, parts of uh, like Makati. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like going to Wall Street or something. The, the financial district. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, used, to, I used to frequent uh, uh, Manila and other places and, you know, um, rub shoulders with some of the uh, ruling elites. And I knew, like, you know, they've got billionaires, you know, that, oh, yeah. who travel yeah. with uh, armed escorts, you know, and then yeah. they live in gated communities. And then, like, and you leave the University of Philippines, Curzon City, there are piles of garbage, people, you know, and then, like, people sleeping yeah. in um, cemeteries. They even yeah. empty out, you know, oh, I love visiting to make the out of graveyards. Yeah. Yeah. Visiting the cemetery was, was an eye opener for me. Just, I mean, it was like a village. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And, and, People had very good housing in the mausoleums there, you know, and that you could see people cooking and washing their clothes and so forth. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, the Philippines, I'm told, uh, has the fifth greatest mineral resources underground in, in the world, of any country in the world. And of course, uh, about 75% of the military is in Mindanao, where most of those resources are. Um, so, but the, they, the, the, lo the locals who resist the uh, you know the state security penetration and the increased domination by Manila, they are framed as the Muslim terrorists, as I understand it. Eh? Well, the, the the locals the locals try to resist. Um, but uh, they're killed. Uh, and, and mostly the minerals are under the ground of the ancestral lands of the indigenous people. So the paramilitaries are used to try to push them off that land. And uh, my, my, my wife worked at one of the indigenous schools and how I met her was on a fact-finding mission because the director of the school had been killed, tortured and had his throat slit by uh, paramilitaries, not even wearing masks. They knew that they had impunity. After killing the director of the school, they then called the community together, called out the two leaders, and shot them dead in front of their whole community, including their wives and about a dozen children. So it, it's it's ruthless, it's brutal, and uh, I, I just I'm amazed at, at the resilience of the people and their their resistance. They continue to resist, but um, to do so means initially you you, you get death threats. Everybody gets death threats. They they try to, to dissuade you, and then if you continue, 
as 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 a number of lawyers and 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 other uh, human rights defenders have found, uh, they they will be executed. Right. Uh, so sorry and, to interrupt, but you you mentioned like a killing, you know, a, a, a governing by killing. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, they're yeah. also like, uh, uh, you know, I, I've spoken to some of the um, um, uh, Filipino migrant uh, workers in. Uh, Kuala Lumpur and other places, and yeah, yeah. Um, a, a lot of a lot of them seem to be quite supportive of Duterte, saying that you know he's really cleaning up the society and you know like uh, the cleaning up the streets and whatnot. So, so this populist appeal, yeah, um, by clearly a, a murderous thug in the in the office of the president, yeah. And where is this country going? I mean, like, you, you know, you've been doing research on this issue for 10 years as co-chair of the uh, monitoring committee uh, on attacks on lawyers with the International um, Association of People's Lawyers. And then you banned, I think like you were deported from Manila. Can you, can you tell, no. about, tell us about that incident where you were basically shipped back to Thailand? I mean, sorry, yeah. China, where you yeah. came in from. Yeah. That, that, that's interesting because um, quite a number of us uh, and a number of colleagues here uh, have been banned from from the Philippines, and and we are all uh, members of various solidarity groups which which support uh, 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 moves toward reform, peace, and development, and so forth. Um, I uh, I've been to conferences. Uh, and uh, meetings, discussions, some demonstrations um, over the years, uh, even before Duterte. Um, but uh, in August 2018, I flew, my, my wife was, who's now here, but she was then in, in the Philippines. I flew, flew over to, to visit with her. And I got to the airport and uh, put in my passport and the guy looked at it and he said, oh, just a minute. And I thought, uh-oh. And another chap came and they told me that uh, I wouldn't be allowed into the country. Now, I wasn't deported. If I had gone into the Philippines and they wanted to get rid of me, I would have been deported. But they kept me at the airport. And the reason for that uh, well, they, they, they tried to get me to go out on the next flight out, but I said, no, I, I, I've got some problems. The last time I flew, uh, when I was tired, I, I got a blood clot in my lung, which was true. Um, and I didn't want to go out, but I also didn't want to go out because I wanted to make a fuss. I wanted to make it clear, as clear as I could to, to the media, uh, that this is the way people are treated. Uh, so I, I stayed for about a week uh, on, in the airport. Uh, my doctor, uh, a first responder, uh, organ this was organized by one of the uh, uh, congressmen then, who was a friend of mine. Um, my, so that doctor said, no, you, you should be examined, but we uh, can't do it here. You have to go inside the, the country. And the doctor at the airport said the same thing, but the government wouldn't allow that. 
So we argued back and forth and uh, the Chinese airline was involved. Uh, but I did have an interview with Reuters and uh, a number of other uh, media outlets. Um, but they, they, in the official document which they handed me, they said I had attended rallies. Now, on the dates that they claim I attended rallies, one, I wasn't in the country, and the other one I know for a fact that I, I, I didn't go. So they were speculating that since I was in the country and since there were demonstrations uh, and I had, I had attended a conference there, I must have gone. They had no clear proof. Uh, but in a document that my lawyer was able to obtain from the Bureau of Immigration, it said, um, associates with terrorist organizations. Um, now, that alone, uh, I mean, that, that's crazy and, and you know, I, I'm not involved in any kind of terrorism or support of terrorism. But what is, what is in, even more interesting, in February of this year, um, and, and this is something that the Australians are, are going to have to face up to. A military delegation came from the Philippines, a major general who's in charge of the anti-communist uh, war that they're, that, that they've, they, that they're involved in. He came here and spoke to uh, officials at the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Um, and then he spoke to two community groups, Filipino-Australian community groups, one in Melbourne and one in Sydney. And he proceeded to red tag me and three others, all of us citizens of, of uh, the country, as well as uh, Migranti Australia, Gabriella Australia, and a number of other organizations, all of which are doing humanitarian work and are legal. Um, so the we 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 know because we we you know friends of ours attended uh, th these meetings. And there was a PowerPoint presentation. The people were invited to go to those meetings by the Filipino consuls in Melbourne and Sydney, and they were told this this was going to be a, a discussion of the peace process, which was in itself. Uh, ridiculous because Duterte stopped the peace process long ago. Uh, but in any case, when the people went there, they got a lecture for over an hour on the communist threat to the Philippines and how people here, including Filipino postgraduate students, um, were supporters of, of the so-called communist terrorist groups operating in the Philippines. And the people, Australian citizens, were threatened, uh, told not to associate with any of us. Uh, so this, this is pretty gross violation of, of uh, our rights and, and indeed probably of their uh, visa conditions, which is ironic because that's what was said about me in the Philippines. I had violated my visa conditions. So I've, I've filed a, a, a freedom of information request to find out precisely what 
was said to the government officials. And I've also filed a, a, a complaint uh, to the Australian Human Rights Commission uh, for the violation of, of my rights. And the fact that the government was actually complicit, you know, they, they never warned us, they never told us, they never asked us about this, uh, nor did they uh, try to uh, uh, prohibit uh, these, this delegation from going out and spreading these uh, defamatory uh, and red tagging statements uh, in, the, in the community. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, it's interesting, uh, Zarni, that if that was a Chinese delegation and they had done that, and, and th there have been similar incidents, particularly about university students. Yes. The government would be publicizing this, jumping up and down, you know, withdrawing ambassadors or calling them in for a discussion. But since it's the Philippines, silence. Yeah. Right. Well, I think like it's a selective kind of uh, uh, the uh, you know the racism on the part of the Australian uh, authorities, obviously. You know, like the, the both foreign regimes are uh, doing their dirty work on the soil of Australia, right? And, yeah. uh, um, but the international environment is also extremely disturbing and discouraging, uh, <clears throat> uh, and, and, and conversely, enabling regimes like uh, Ducates or the Burmese, mm. or like if you look at Sri Lanka, they just yeah. elected the leaders of the uh, basically. Um, you know the the genocide yeah. against the Tamil. You know, yeah. uh, the the Rajapaksa brothers, right? They're back in with it in a landslide, and then yeah. like if we look at you know uh, United States, um, you know the the, the 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 trend is extremely disturbing with that uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, the, uh, unlikely yeah. to actually uh, comply with centuries of. Uh, you know, power transfer, peaceful power transfer. You know that yeah. the, the warring signs are there, and and so the, 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 your final thoughts on the, where the Philippines as a nation is heading. You know, on different front front. Um, you know, particularly the the uh, uh, on on the state's crimes against its own people. Well. If, if, if it was only Duterte, I'd be a lot more hopeful. But of course, uh, the, the, the previous regimes, uh, going back, in fact, uh, all, all the way back to Marcos, uh, have, have, uh, have, have, have been uh, uh, complicit in, in uh, major crimes against humanity. Uh, if not genocide. I mean, there's, there's some question about whether, and you would know more about this than I because of your work, but um, there's, there's some suggestion that the, the, the so-called war on drugs is actually a, a genocide. I'm not sure that the poor as such would be a group uh, that, that would be recognized under, under genocide law. But putting that aside, there's certainly crimes against humanity. Um, you know, in, in Duterte, Duterte was said to be someone who came out of nowhere. Uh, he was an outsider. 
But of course, his father had uh, been in uh, Marcos's cabinet for a while. Duterte himself was appointed by uh, the Marcos regime as a public prosecutor. He was a lawyer. Um, and he was backed by uh, uh, dynasties and, and, and uh, capitalists who were provincial, so that he, he was outside to the, to the insiders in Manila, but he wasn't outside the ruling class by any means. Um, and as in so many countries, you know, you've got these competing parties, and of course, as we know, they're not really parties in, in, the, in the Philippines. They're, they're uh, accumulations of people who see a main chance and, and jump to the leader. Uh, uh, but, you know, we could say there's two wings of the same bird. So uh, while I, th I think things would not be as bad if Duterte is defeated in the next election, and uh, that's, that's looking possible, I would say. And there, is, there are some signs that, that people are, are beginning to look to the future after Duterte, and that is always dangerous for the man in, 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 in the chair. Um, but uh, the, 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 the structure, the, the social structure and, and the culture of, of the country suggests that there's going to be a continuing very, very difficult struggle for human rights and the protection of the environment uh, because there's so much wealth there. And the, the, you know, what dynasty willingly gives away their, their, their wealth. And yeah. the, the fact that, uh, that um, Duterte has been able to shut down the, uh, you know, the, the largest uh, media organization in, in, in the country. Rappler? And is the most radical uh, main, sort of mainstream Rappler, uh, you know, doesn't augur well for the future. So uh, I, I'm hopeful that things will improve. I'm hopeful that, that uh, uh, the son of Marcos does not, does not win his appeal. I, I think that's unlikely. You know, he was defeated by only a quarter of a million votes um, uh, in, in, in the election, last election for vice president. Uh, I think he will lose that appeal. Uh, if he doesn't, we're in real trouble because if he were vice president, I'm sure Duterte would, towards the end, resign and allow him to be the incumbent in the next election. Well, that but, would be the uh, back to the future, right? <laughs> that would be that would be be terrible. But I I I think that uh, the present vice president uh, is a woman uh, and a lawyer. Uh, I I, th I think she would be a good candidate, and we'll have to wait and see. And and uh, I I I think th many things would improve but it's going to be a continuing struggle. And we have to worry also about 
their relationship, be, you know, to China and to the U.S. and how they're going to manage that because they're going to get squeezed. Uh, that they are being squeezed over South China Sea, you know, competition, all the hydrocarbons sitting yeah. at the uh, bottom yeah. of the sea. So, uh, uh, Professor uh, uh, Jill Barringer, um, it's been a, a great uh, conversation and um, thank you so much for giving us uh, one solid hour. And uh, we are going to end it uh, as we have gone over one hour mark. And uh, okay. thanks again and have a Thank great you. rest of the evening. My pleasure. Thanks. Hope to see you soon, somewhere. Yes. <laughs> On some battleground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs>